0: What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Josh Dean, the CMO of S- Well. That's exactly how you pronounce it, isn't it, Josh Dean? It is, Mark Pollard. It's good to have you here, Josh. We've been in <laughs> meeting rooms together, and my main intention for this interview is to work out how to bottle Josh Dean. And it's not just because you look, <laughs> you look beautiful every time I see you, it's because you're, you know, you're one of a handful of people that I've worked with over the years who's been in upcoming and also very senior marketing roles who seems to be very creatively oriented and to me you're a rare species and I want to bottle you before you know before it's too late.
1: I love that it's great to be here with you on the show Um, I think you're doing a lot of great stuff for the up-and-coming
0: planning and strategy world and um, yeah let's do it let's bottle me up. All right, let's put you up. So I'm going to give you some one-on-one questions and I'm not afraid of asking the obvious question because sometimes they lead to the obvious answers we need. Sometimes they lead to the surprising answers that need to be more obvious. What's your point of view of the role of marketing in business today? The
1: role of marketing and business today, in my opinion, has two main objectives. One is to be the champion of creativity in the business and outside of the business to consumers. And the second is to link that creativity to short, medium and long term growth.
0: Hmm. that was very clear-headed. And I don't know if I've heard those words exactly like that before in such a clear-headed way. Do you feel that you're a rare species, Josh? (laughs) I don't know
1: if I'm a rare species. I think I feel that I've been fortunate in my career to have had a somewhat what you would now call traditional upbringing in classic brand building and management at Unilever, uh, working alongside many great Marketeers out there today, and I really have valued that sort of training, sort of the MBA of branding, in a way at that time, uh, because I think that taught me that marketing is, you know, an art and a science, and I've always fundamentally believed that, and I think that I've been able to use that you know, throughout my career in different manifestations at different sort of companies. Um, But it's always something that I've kind of fallen back on. And I think that we've lost a little now in the marketing world. So I've been thinking recently about how we shouldn't bring that back a little more.
0: Mm. Why don't you name drop some of the brands you've worked on?
1: Uh, Dove, Axe, Chobani... Tommy John, which people may be less familiar with uh, it's a premium men's and women's underwear business, making men's uh, uh, parts of men's and women's anatomy feel much more comfortable. <laughs> and then more recently as well.
0: And was your intention initially to go through more of a, you used the word traditional, but to start in a more traditional brand building marketing aware marketing forward i'm just saying hyphenated words for the sake of it now because it amuses me but were you, were you, was your initial intention to start in somewhere that was very conscious of the power of marketing to to get your chops in place
1: I don't know if it was my intention. I tried badly at being an actor and then a theater director. Um, and then when that didn't work, I was like, okay, I love creativity and I, I also like business. So where are the you know, brands that I've heard of and companies that I've heard of that can help me grow in that space? And so that was how I kind of landed at Unilever. And to this day, it was actually the hardest job interview i've ever had so that says something about kind of you know what they're looking for and and how they invest in people but um but yeah i think having that sort of what you would call classical training let's say um was so beneficial so yeah i'm really grateful for
0: that what made the job interview difficult it was like
1: i can't remember how many people there were i think it was like something crazy like five thousand people applied for sixty jobs and you know there was online application then a day session where there was lots of team environments and then if you pass that there was a two-day process one which was like a quote-unquote meal with uh, people from Unilever where they were essentially like judging how you were interacting with people and then the next day uh, was like interviews with different people team sessions and then most noticeably two sessions with essentially a therapist a psychotherapist like questioning you on your whole life and why you really wanted to be in marketing so that was that was like fun I I basically thought I completely failed because the sort of psychotherapist was like I've seen your what you've done and that you studied like history and politics and that you love drama and that you love music and that you did theater and then you tell me that your parents are like you know in investment banking and accounting and I basically think that your parents have like pushed you into doing this job and at that point I was like that is totally not the case I do not respect the fact that you said that and went on a whole tirade about where I really wanted to work on brands and how Unilever brands have been part of my life etc and then walked out of there thinking that I completely like fucked up um and then and then at the end of the day when I met him again he was just like, I was just doing it to push your buttons. And I actually went to Nottingham university and also studied history and politics. So, uh, I just thought I'd see where, where, how passionate you were about it. And I was like, wow,
0: fuck you. But yeah. okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, how, how big is that button now? The, the button that says, uh, Your parents want you, don't they? (laughs) Is that still a button?
1: Uh, Yeah, I guess it's still a button, but it's, it's, you know, I was always uh, the different one in the family. You know, my parents and my brother are both sort of more uh, left brain, sort of mathematics, engineering, physics, science, and I was the one that was not great at maths and loved my arts, etc. So I've always... I think that's probably something about me too where I was like, I'd like to be in places where I think there's an opportunity to either disrupt the market or think differently and be on my own and kind of path blaze my own trail, so to speak. Mm. Um, So I think it's definitely you know, made me who I am and I'm grateful for that along with other formative experiences in my in my in my life to this date.
0: Mm. All right. So in the bottle of Josh Dean at the very start, we have something to do with studying theatre. I'm joking, it's it's more it's probably more about the variety of what you got exposed to that you got exposed to something that was probably more rigorous and investigative in the the more formal education, while also not that studying theatre is not formal, while also doing something that's expressive. And I feel that's Relatively common in a lot of the people that I've enjoyed working with over the years, which is a personal bias. It's not to say one is better than the other is that they've done something creative and artistic and that's part of who they are. Maybe they turn it off for 20 years, 30 years and revisit it when they're older, but there's often a little bit of creativity in that person. And then the trailblazing mentality. Is that something that you see in yourself from a very young age? Quite a young age, I think. Uh, if you ask my
1: parents, I I was well known for having. Uh very clear what they call in the UK paddies or tantrums from like two or three where I was fiercely independent and I think that that only grew with age and my parents got divorced when I was like 13 which was like the worst time because I was like pubescent and emotions were all over the place but I think then I made the decision to take myself to boarding school to be more independent so yeah I think that that sort of independent streak and trying to sort of be in control of my own destiny and, and use that and, and push myself is definitely something that is part of who I am and, and helps me kind of think about always say, how could we do something differently and, and be able to do things that haven't necessarily been done before.
0: Mm. I imagine the two-year-old Josh Dean with a beard, by the way, and I think <laughs> whatever that image is, that's now going to become part of our... Distinctive assets, our set of distinctive assets. Uh, right, yeah, you might say even put it even the bottle. Be on the bottle. It's going yeah, on the now bottle you're going to ask it. me to
1: try and find a two-year-old picture of myself. It's funny. My my youngest daughter is two, and my mum has often said that uh, there's some similarity there. So we'll wait and see what happens with her. Mm, well, how long is her beard? Uh, it's not that long at the moment. We'll see.
0: I have, be- I have beard envy every time
1: I see you. you. have a good beard too. I can't. Your I can't. beard like is on and off. And I'm, I'm holding the microphone away from my beard as you instructed so that it's not too roughly for everyone. Mm.
0: Um, how did your parents' divorce affect you?
1: Pretty bad, actually. I think it was a difficult time in my life. I think I definitely lost a good number of years of my sort of teenagehood. Um, you know, I taught myself to boarding school, and I've had a hard time sort of connecting with my peers I would always kind of spend a little time with older people uh, because I just felt like I was a little uh, more serious and mature and then like as as time moved on and sort of the the wounds started to heal a little bit I then sort of recaptured my youth so to speak and was able to sort of feel like I really was part of the kind of cohort uh, that I was with so but at the same time you know I think that again that kind of independence and ability to do things on my own and and be able to kind of um, you know rely on a a group of friends became really important still is really important to me today so I do think that um, so much of who you are is shaped by whatever events happen when you're younger. And, um, you know, that was a challenging time. But at the same time, now I look back on it and go, well, it's kind of also made me who I am. And I'm grateful for that in a way. So,
0: mm. Were you interested in the theatre and acting before the divorce?
1: Yeah, no, I was. Um, I remember doing that at primary school and playing the classic sort of Peter Pan's and Oliver Twists and, and then went into secondary school and did that too. But it was always... It was always like, the effort was 150%, but the natural talent was probably more like 70%. And I think that when I got to university, I then realized that I'm probably better off, I I was better off being a director rather than an actor. And that maybe is also an interesting thing to think about, given that now as a a leader, and actually as a CMO, so much of that is being more of like a director or conductor or an architect, you know, you have got multiple different things going on at different times. And whilst your core strength, so to speak, maybe in one area, you really need to be able to be sort of that, uh, have that ability to kind of take a step back and look at a bigger picture and be the conductor of the orchestra of very talented, you know, people on your team or the extended agency team and help them all sort of uh, get behind one vision of where you want to go. So,
0: yeah, I think there's something there. I'm going to mention a book that I've mentioned tens of times. It's Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. Have you read that book I have at all? not read that.
1: But you always give good book recommendations. So <laughs> it's just my list is like ever just growing and growing. So I've done that one to the top.
0: I'll do a beard book swap anytime, Josh. <laughs> I'm just okay, saying. Well, let's
1: just but put that in the bottom.
0: She, there's an interesting concept in there in that she talks about, I think the term is shadow artists. And they're, they're people who probably explored their own artistry at some point and then... For whatever reason, either either they just didn't feel that they were excelling the way that their peers were or perhaps people around them cancelled them from doing it, just blocked them from doing it. And they shift into these roles where they shadow artists, they shadow other artists who are actually mm. expressing. And she references, from what I understand quite a bit of stuff from Carl Jung uh, yeah. in, a, in a way where I think in, in Carl Jung's 30s and 40s, he became really involved in his own art and self-expression. And it, it seems like it's a natural part of life for a lot of people who have artistic tendencies, which to me is probably most, <laughs> most humans, to be interested at a young age to stop exploring it. And then at some point as you approach midlife, maybe through crisis, but maybe not, that you start to investigate uh, your own artistry in a bigger and a more severe way. And I know you, I'm a few years older than you, I think, but like, do you feel that you pressed a big pause button on your own self-expression?
1: It's interesting. I think that there is, like, in terms of practicing the art. In my case, you know, whether that was music, and I played the oboe on violin up until I was eighteen, or you know, theater and directing. Like the practicing of that skill, yes, that is paused, and we'll see if it comes back. And I've been thinking recently about dusting off the violin. And uh, especially when my kids start to get a little older and are interested in it, uh, I think. But at the same time, it's still very much part of my life, both in terms of you know what we do outside of work, but actually what we do in to, inside work. I don't think there's any coincidence that I ended up in marketing in that sense. And I'm I'm so passionate about creativity in every shape or form because it allows me to have that, you know, every day in my life. And and so that, you know, and I think it's so important if we try and achieve our full potential in our careers to be able to find something that not only you're good at and that you love, but just brings that sort of satisfaction and fulfillment in what you do every day, not just what you do outside of work so uh, it is there and i love that and you know sometimes I wish that it could be more of what I do but at the same time I, I have that sort of channel and output to then use every day so mm-hmm. you know that's
0: well that's a that's a big thing to me. So being passionate about creativity as a very senior marketer seems like a, a natural thing maybe a a prerequisite for doing good marketing. However, we get around meeting rooms and business parks <laughs> around the world and we know that it's not a default point of view. Have you felt that you've been in meeting rooms or even in jobs or companies where the idea of being passionate about creativity has actually alienated you from the group?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, so much of marketing and almost the advertising industry now sort of defaults to measurement and performance and results and short-termism that creativity can become a, you know, a bad word or something that you shouldn't mention and sort of throws people off. And I think that's a real shame because, you know, I look around now and you, even yesterday, I was at the Effie Awards judging, and I think one of the things that struck me was and again, Effie's is more about effectiveness, but obviously, creativity is a huge part of that. And I just like looked at some of the execution, I was like, none of this feels particularly creative and moving the needle. And why are we now in this world of sort of a sea of sameness? And you know, you and I are both in New York, and uh, I've worked on and been living in sort of this direct to consumer mono brand age, and you just you look at them all and you're like, oh my God, that's just exactly the same. And what happened to that, you know, good old fashioned, really important, amazing sort of creative thinking that can sort of unlock brands and unlock growth. And I think it's a real, you know, challenge in marketing overall at the moment that we've lost that. And, you know, and that if we don't figure out a way of recapturing that and bringing creativity back into the sort of 21st century in a way that feels refreshing and innovative, then, then I think we're going to face some really big challenges uh, as an industry overall. Mm -hmm. What, What is creativity to you? I think creativity is at its most fundamental, the ability to look at something differently and to, you know, take a step back and and see the world in a different lens. And um, you know, I was this is a little morbid, but I was at a um a shiver, so a a Jewish memorial service for a friend whose mum passed away yesterday. And uh, she was an artist, his mum was an artist, and her granddaughter was recounting a story about how they went to a park to paint with her. And she was like, Grandma, I, like, I don't know what to paint. Like I can't see anything. And she's just like, keep looking. And I uh, look at the sky, and she looks at the sky, and she's like, what do you see? And she's like, I see blue. And it's like, what type of blue? And she's like, I see this blue, and this different blue, and this different blue. And she's like, exactly. Like, every time you look at the sky, You'll see a different form of blue, and I just found that really powerful because I think, w- for whatever reason, because maybe it's social conditioning or whatever else, we always seem to once we've looked at something once, think we we look at it again and see the same thing. And I think there's something so powerful in being able to then say there's a different way to look at something here, and that that may well end up being you know, what we would call like pure creative in terms of like, you know, art or advertising or film. But, but, but the other thing about creativity is, and this is what I say a lot to my team is it's like, you don't have to be quote unquote creative to be, to have creativity, like creativity is, is in everyone and everything. And it can re- fundamentally unlock a business. So like when I'm, when I do work with brands to help, uncover their brand purpose and brand soul like i am open to that inspiration coming from anywhere or anyone and I, and i think that that is something that is that can be taught and is a muscle memory and we need to practice it more in every role that we do and I, and i feel that much more actually in the us needed in the us than in the uk and i know you spent some time obviously in australia too like i don't know if it's the way that we are, uh, formative education or whatever there is out there, or that often I work with a lot of MBA students, but like, I just feel sometimes that their, their creativity or their ability to look at things differently is in there, but it needs to be set free or opened up or unlearned. You know, one of my good friends is a guy called Duke Stump, who's the CMO of Lime Bikes and uh, Micro uh, Transport, And he says this thing which I love, which is that, you know, leaders should quiet their cleverness and think anew. And I just love that. He's a brilliant thinker and a great guy. But I think there is something there about, you know, all too often people and leaders in particular think they know everything and, and, and they're not in a place where they can unlearn something and rethink something. And I think there's a lot to be said to that and more mm. we should do
0: it. Mm. Uh, look, I, I love that beautiful, gentle phrase, keep looking. It's, uh, it's I just feel like sometimes we jump into these... PowerPoint keynote presentations we have our numbers and we don't even look at them we just kind of copy and paste them and think that that's the job done as opposed to trying to work out what deserves to be in the presentation if it needs to be a presentation what the thing's about why don't I try to connect dots to things that I haven't been connected to before it's it's it's, it's different and I do I've, I've definitely found a difference in the US and every time I interview senior people in Australia I'm reminded of it uh, yeah. and it's not good or bad right it's just it's yeah. just different but it does seem that the US business mind is it's more linear and yeah. more yeah. literal and i don't often hear stories of you know i studied this weird thing and then i did stand up comedy for a while oh and then i became a cmo it's <laughs> like you're on a career track from a relatively young age and I, I i know this isn't an absolute truth but i feel that people get their edges sh- shorn off them at a very, very young age through what they think they're being sold as individuality, but as actually corporate conformity. Um, and, he, you know, you could be in a meeting and even having a chat a little bit like this could be quite strange for some people, whereas I have a feeling for you and I to be the norm.
1: Yeah. I love these ones. <laughs> and, and I think, that the, but then you also like, there's a lot in there too. You know, I think, you know, we're speaking today on a day with coronavirus and the market's crashing and all those kind of things. And it, it does give me a moment of pause to be like, you know, mother nature is probably saying something to us and saying that we need a bit of a reset and, and take a step back and understand you know, what's important in life and also stop people from flying for a bit and give the earth a little break too. But I, I think my po- the, the bigger point that it's making me think about, and, and I can see this and feel this a little in sort of the corporate America world, is this shift from pure short-term thinking, shareholder value, you know, what's your revenue like for the next quarter and profitability to what are those more longer-term, you know, real game-changing things that we as a business world society can work on to leave a lasting impression and there's a long way to go here and this is not going to happen overnight. But what excites me about the leaders that are emerging and kind of even in my own sort of, I would say sort of younger CMO peer group, um, just the desire for those people to to work on things that can make a you know a fundamental difference for future generations mm-hmm. is really strong and, and i think that going back to creativity like that's where maybe we can sort of create more space for that to happen mm-hmm. by showing that there is a way to do things differently and sometimes those answers are in the past that you just need to refresh and bring back to today and sometimes they're in the future but Wherever they are, I think it's our kind of responsibility to, to find them and showcase them and and show that like good things can happen with them.
0: Mm-hmm. And so based on what we've been discussing here, and this is absolutely not a criticism of anyone or any part of the world, but have, have you found it challenging to hire marketers that you relate to?
1: Sometimes I look at marketers as people first. And back to your point about experience, I kind of like people that have had you know, very different experiences and, you know, what some people would call the misfits uh, or other areas too, because I think, especially in the world of marketing, like the, one of the most important traits that you can have is curiosity and creativity. Like, it, you know, if you are a naturally curious individual and that curiosity has taken you to weird and wonderful places and all random jobs, then it says to me that you have a thirst for curiosity and that will always be there and I think you need that you know like there's a curiosity in kind of how the world is going. there's a curiosity in people. there is something about like you know being comfortable uh, with unlearning things that is also linked to that. So I, I try and quickly get to that understanding with people and and see if there's something there. And then of course there's the sort of traditional marketing building block so to speak and, and those are things like, you know, storytelling and the ability to under, to understand kind of the why behind the brands, but you know, other things are, are things that can be taught and, um, and what those people bring in terms of an outside perspective, a a view on creativity is so powerful that I always feel like you need those people in, in, in your marketing world.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, not to beleaguer the point too much, but were there any other bits of culture shock that you found moving to America?
1: Was <laughs> uh, it nine years ago? Um... I,
0: I think I just made up a word, by the way, beleaguer, belabor.
1: I definitely feel like when I moved, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this quote wrong, but I think Winston Churchill said like the the US and uh, and the UK were two countries united by one language. And, you know, I think everyone on the outside thinks that they're so similar as a, as a country and, and that couldn't be more different in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being quite a culture shock in terms of, you know, whether it be from everything to sort of uh, friendships, to how blunt people are in some ways, to other other things that just continue to surprise me about, you know, the US and I say US and you and I living in a New York bubble. So that needs to be taken with a grain of salt too. But yeah, I'm continually surprised by, you know, the, the big differences that there are you know, culturally um, between the, the two countries. And I shouldn't be surprised because they are very different countries. But yeah, I think from the outside, you kind of think going from the UK to the US is, is, is an easy thing. And I, I wouldn't say it is. I think there's a lot of things that you have to kind of assimilate to uh, over here. And that definitely takes some time.
0: Mm also beleaguers a word. I don't know why my brain's well, a bit fuzzy today. Uh, As a
1: simulator word too, right? I don't know if I use that right. We can figure it out. Yeah,
0: we, yeah I just, I don't <laughs> know. Sometimes the words just fall out and you're like, what did I just say? So, I mean, you, you mentioned at the very start that your point of view on marketing, the role of marketing is, is to be the champion of creativity and to link creativity to growth. What are the other points of view that you find existing with senior marketers that could come into conflict with that, with your philosophy?
1: I mean, I think what the one you probably hear the most is like, you know, this notion of like, you're either doing brand building or performance marketing and, you know, that those are buzzwords especially performance marketing that you'll hear a lot especially in the marketing world and so you know my perspective on that is it's not either or it's and and performance marketing has been around for years it's direct response marketing like you know and that can be everything from sort of direct mail to catalogs to obviously paid social and all everything in between so those are ones which you hear a lot. around. And, and I also think that this is probably more true for marketing, I'd say than maybe, you know, a pure sort of strategy and planning, but marketeers have a tendency to like go towards the, um, the shiny object and get excited about whatever that is, whether that be, you know, the latest platform or the latest technology or the latest thing that's happening. And often what that does is it creates this sort of chaos and chasm that particularly sort of CMOs and leaders of organizations go, oh shit, we've got a gap here. We don't know what to do. So therefore we'll overhire in this space. And it's all about, you know, Integrated marketing, which you and I remember way well back when, or 360 marketing, or digital, and all these things. And it's like, just take a step back and understand what you're really here to do, which is unlock creativity, drive growth, understand the consumer, or the person, or the human, and find a way to engage with them at an emotional level and build uh, a connection that's going to make a meaningful change in their lives. And then you know, build on from there, so again, like as so much of this is like I wouldn't say going back to basics, but just really understand what's important and what's not mm-hmm. uh, because if you don't do that, then you can sort of find yourself on this uh runaway train of whatever the new thing is, and um you know you lose sight of the bigger picture of how to sort of build brand love and soul over time, which you know fundamentally I think is is you know, my job as a CMO, um, and, um, and what you kind of the, the legacy that you want to leave behind in that, in that sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny to hear the word integrated for quite a while now. I've seen that as an aggressive clue that if that's in a job title, it means the place, which could be a business or it could be an agency is very broken because it's yeah. like marketing's marketing. It is integrated. So if you're saying integrated yeah. marketing, it means that we're doing marketing in a place that's very banged up. Uh, yeah, uh, without
1: doubt and i mean i think that look it's it so much of this depends on the brand the company the industry you're in you know so having be having started my career in sort of a legacy business and brand that's you know over 100 years old as a company, you find that a lot of these things are sort of built on top of existing legacy businesses or systems or brands. And then, you know, for me, there was always a a craving or yearning to sort of, you know, break the system in a apple 1984 like way and then when you come into like younger organizations that don't have that legacy behind that are more nimble you're able to sort of really in a more purist way kind of go for it but at the same time then often you hit a point where you're like right we actually need to do some of the quote unquote legacy things that build brands over time. You know, I, th- I don't think it's any surprise or confusion that these brands that we all love and are the iconic brands today are still ones that have been around for a pretty long time. And again, going back to my sort of rant on sort of longer termism, uh, there's a reason behind that because they've built that brand love and loyalty over time, first and foremost, often mostly with great products, but then with continued experience across different generations of how that they, they kind of make a meaningful impact in their lives. And so I, you know, I won't put a crystal ball on here, but I think when we look forward three or four years from now and we see probably much less of those newer brands being around, it's because they haven't really made that leap from, you know, a nice sort of superficial mirror in your face brand to something that actually not only is a great product, but is actually improving their lives every day. And I think that is hard to do and takes time to do. So um, let's do more of that.
0: Mm. When you step into a new CMO role, what do the first few months look like for you?
1: It's a lot of listening. (laughs) And I've been fortunate enough now in the last sort of two to three roles to have been in founder driven businesses so and the challenge whilst different was also similar in terms of like I was coming in to really help those businesses find their sort of true north brand purpose vision mission to help sort of elevate their growth and so What that means for me and a lot of CMOs coming into that role is you're spending a lot of time with the founder. You're going back into the archives, so to speak, about how it all began and pulling out amazing sort of stories about uh, what happened back then and being able to kind of craft that into a new narrative of where the brand wants to go. So, you know, you absolutely have to spend a lot of time listening. There's a lot of research that goes in. You kind of make sure that the brand fundamentals are there. And then the other thing that I do, and I'm I'm sure most other leaders do, is spend a lot of time with the team and really understand kind of where the team is, where they can go, what you may need to augment or change to be able to kind of unlock that Growth and potential for the, for the company too.
0: Mm. Now I've got two final questions for you. The first one is what could a head of marketing do to try to increase the quality of the creativity that they're seeing either from in-house creative teams or from external agencies? Ooh, that's a good question.
1: Probably a couple of things. I think one is, and I'm sure you will appreciate this one, like go back to the brief and really understand like, uh, A, was there a brief? B, was the brief clear? Uh, was it bold? And did it really have kind of the nuggets in it that could um, unlock that? You know creativity in terms of how to look differently at the world, uh, because often I found that there either isn't a brief or the brief wasn't clear or it wasn't sort of insightful or empowering. And so I think that you know, like it, you know, the classic shit in shit out thing is mm. re- still very true.
0: And then and you're, the you're second, talking you you're talking about the marketing brief.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about the marketing brief or the creative brief or the comms brief, or whatever the brief is, sure. uh, and especially if that in this day and age in a marketing team that is you know not one of those sort of classic cpg teams that are sort of trained and educated on how to write a brief there's definitely something that is missing there that you can bring in and sort of add some of that discipline to it Uh, so that's the first one Uh, the second one is time Uh, we touched on this a little earlier Uh, you know everyone's going so quick and you need to give you know time for creativity. And I don't just mean like adding weeks on, I mean, spending time with it and in it and, you know, actively listening and thinking and working together and challenging each other to make the work better. You know, so often, and maybe this is another one of those kind of classic US examples. What I hate about uh, the sort of classic agency client model is, you know, an OK brief the agency goes away, works on something for two weeks or three weeks, so they supposedly have time, come back and present, and then you know the ideas aren 't right and it was like well there 's no of course the ideas aren 't going to be right because there was no collaboration, there was no you know messiness um, which needs to happen, and that messiness shouldn 't just happen in an agency that messiness should happen with an engaged partner to work on something together. And because that's where the magic happens by like pushing each other to do, you know, greater work. And that's why I often, especially more recently, you know, with the agencies that we've been working with at Swell and at Tommy John, like they never felt like agencies. They were good friends of mine. I had direct contact with them. I was spending a lot of time with them. They felt like extensions of my team. And we were able to have really good discussions about making the work better. And again, I feel like in so many examples, we've lost that and it's no surprise that then you'll kind of find work that's just sort of boring or disappointing or not even relevant, so yeah. Right. I was like, that was another run and I no, they're on it
0: <laughs> there are, there are a few themes in there one is for the marketing brief to have some kind of spine, some new way of looking at the world. you talked about loving messiness, allowing time for creativity, a sense of friendship and you know I, you know so much of this world right now is very transactional when you yeah. when you as an agency you sign into a company's uh what do you call it like you you visit a company you sign into the thing that you have to sign into and you you get A label that says vendor, and then you arrive for the meeting and they're like, Oh, the vendor meeting is over here. It's like, No, (laughs) what is this? No wonder you're getting like, you know, stuff that's not always very good. You're you're just treating this as a very dry transaction. Uh, Last question for you Why aren't there more CMOs like you in the world, Josh Day?
1: I think there are. There are. They may be just harder to find. I, I think as I've become Uh, I wouldn't say wiser, just older or more gray beard. Like I think I've also just become, I'm less bothered about what other people think of me or trying to say the right thing. You know, I think maybe my English accent helps me a little bit. That's another difference in the U S and the UK. Like people just seem to think that you're clever when you're not just because of your accent. So I guess I lean on that a little, (laughs) um, but on a more serious note, when i've talked about the power of creativity and trying to find you know the soul and the humanity in brands most of the people that i've spoken to about that have found that very refreshing and inspiring and and i do think that exists in a lot of cmo's i think sometimes because of the pressure of the role and the average tenure of a CMO, uh, you always have to be talking about sort of, you know, short-term growth and results and revenue, and you're either not given the sort of bandwidth or time or are able to craft out the time to, again, allow that sort of creativity to infuse in the organization into the employees and then beyond into the work. So, it's there, like you don't become a CMO by accident, like you become a CMO because you're able to be the sort of evangelist of the brand and the consumer and, and drive that growth. Uh, I just think that maybe as a, as a community, we need to be let free a little bit more and have the sort of trust in the relationships at the C-level and beyond to, to let that happen and show what that can do in terms of those results, but also in terms of like, you know, the buzz that there is around the brand overall.
0: Mm. Well, I, I think we've done a good job of making our new DTC brand. It's called Josh Dean and it comes in bottles. <laughs> Going to feature a photo of you as a two-year-old with a beard. Okay. And, it, and maybe great. Maybe this season is called Beleaguered. I don't know. But, uh, but, you know, lots of lots of themes in there for people to carry into their day jobs. And it starts with philosophy. Like, what am I here to do? And if you're here to do good creative work, then you set up your teams, your company, your systems, your, agency, your, your agencies, your friendships, to do that and it's not much more complicated than that I mean it that's a very slippant and simple thing for me to say. Uh, Josh thank you so much for joining me on sweathead today. Where can people find you on the internet <laughs>
1: They can find me on the Twitter sphere, uh, Mr. Joshua Dean. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Those are the main two places. Um, but thank you, Mark. I've really enjoyed it. As always, I know that we could speak for a long time about lots of other things. So uh, I hope your listeners find this uh, enjoyable and informative. And maybe let's do another one soon when we've launched our D2C
0: bottle of Josh Dean. Oh, totally. I'm, oh, I'm about to, to roam the streets of Manhattan selling <laughs> this bottle right now. Uh, I can't wait. But thank you so much for right, joining me it. on Sweater today. Best wishes with everything. Cheers, mate. Bye.